I've heard the term protected classes before, but I really don't know what they are, how they affect me, and what I should do about them. Running a service business can be hard. It is not unusual for business owners in industries like contracting, home repair, auto repair, business-to-business -business services like janitorial, IT and accounting, and many others to feel overwhelmed by all the priorities facing them at any given time. Between addressing the needs of the customers, managing the employees, figuring out the financials, and getting processes in place, feeling like you're making significant progress on your business journey can be difficult. Welcome to Service Industry Success, hosted by Brian Harding. Each week, Brian will look at real-world strategies for building the business you are dreaming of, while also sharing tactics to get through some of the most frustrating parts of business ownership with a lot more ease. Let's get started. Unfortunately, protected class is one of those things nobody really talks about with a couple of exceptions. One is you're at some kind of convention where there's a labor attorney speaking and you might even skip this meeting because it's boring and you go meet up with some, with some friends during the convention for lunch or a drink or something like that. Um, and it, we're they're talking about protected classes and how you should be mindful of this when you, when you create and revise and utilize your HR policies, which sounds like a really boring class you would probably skip. The other one is you or a member of your leadership team did something that requires you to get counsel from your attorney regarding claims of potential discrimination or not properly protecting one or more protected classes. For completely different reasons, neither of these circumstances are the best place to learn about this topic. At one, you'll barely be able to stay awake while you're digesting your chicken cordon bleu lunch and, and not nodding off through the, the lawyer droning on about this stuff. And in the other, you're already knee-deep in a potential lawsuit. So before we go on, this is a, an important topic it's a very sticky topic, so I've got a couple of very obvious disclaimers. First of all, I'm only going to be speaking about United States laws. I know many countries have very similar laws. Um, I'm definitely not an expert in those other countries' laws, so I'm going to stick to what I know, which is U.S. law. The second thing is I'm obviously not an attorney. Uh, I don't know the, I don't profess to know the specific laws in your area. You should definitely consult with a legal professional who knows the laws in your jurisdiction before you create, revise, implement, or utilize any HR policy. So pretty obvious stuff there. Uh, for the most part, I can speak to this stuff as far as the practicality of it, the specifics of what jurisdiction covers, you know, what for your business. I, there's no way for me to know that. So the first thing we're talking about is what are protected classes? Protected classes are legally defined groups of people whose rights to not be discriminated against or harassed because the defined characteristics are specifically protected. So that's not that's not a legal definition. That's the closest thing I could come up with to just kind of lay terms for what this is. These examples are um, obviously race, religion, country of origin, age, specifically those over 40 years, uh, 40 years old and older, when I say age, uh, sex or gender, uh, pregnancy status, citizenship status, Familial status, which means do they have a spouse, children, etc. Disability status and veteran status. You might also hear these called EEOC protections. EEOC refers to the Equal Employment Opportunities Council, um, or is it commission? I think it's council. It might be EEOC as far as that. it might be a commission. Anyhow, uh, you might hear the term EEOC referring to these these protections as well. 
Now, why should we care about this stuff? Lawsuits are are being filed against companies, you know, left and right. I think the last statistic I read was something like one in eight companies every year will be sued by an employee. These are getting more and more expensive. Um, if I remember right, that the average lawsuit for this kind of thing is somewhere around two hundred fifty thousand dollars, as far as the 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 um, the claims awarded. Oftentimes, the suits are for you know millions. I think the average settlement though is somewhere around two hundred fifty thousand dollars. It might be higher than that now. It might be four hundred thousand. I don't know. It's expensive. It's enough that more than enough that a small or medium sized business could just be put out of business if they lost a lawsuit like this and had to pay, you know, $250,000. One of the things is that this is not something that people are insured enough for oftentimes. Um, there's, there's great insurance out there called employment practices insurance. If you don't have that, you should get that immediately. That maybe should be the most important thing you do today. If you, ha- if you do not have employment practices insurance, your, your insurance broker will provide it. This is not a specialty kind of thing. Any kind of insurance broker is going to have that coverage. So get that. The other thing is that comes with the, that coverage is um, sometimes there's product programs, excuse me, programs called things like HR exec or HR helper or whatever, where you can call people and say, I have this problem. What do you think I should do? How should I handle it? Um, I prefer that for big things, I still want to talk to an attorney in my jurisdiction who knows my laws. Now, I'm not saying that those HR helper things aren't great. Some of them uh, really are. Uh, the degree that I would trust them in my mind would be, you know, directly really correlating to how expensive is this going to be if I get it wrong. So these are basically groups of people identified again by things like race and religion and gender and, and familial status and all that kind of stuff who are specifically guaranteed their rights in writing by the law to not uh, be uh, discriminated against or harassed based on those things. So now that we know what they are, what should we do about these, these things in a practical sense? So the first thing is, like any federal law, local jurisdictions cannot be less strict, but they may be more strict. So your state and even cities you work in might have additional protected classes above and beyond what the federal level has, and they might have more protective language than the Department of Labor at the federal level has established. So if you just Google or you do some kind of online search and, and look up protected classes, if you click on a website that lists the federal protected classes, you may miss ones that are relevant in your state. Further, you might miss ones that are specific to a city you work in. So if you work in a major city, especially a, a major progressive city, uh, when I say progressive, I mean like you know left-leaning driven you know, politicians, things like that running the city, um, and you, you, your office is in a suburb of the city, let's say your office, you know, town that your office in may not have these laws, but the major city you may work in would. So this is, it's really important to find out. First thing is which sets of laws are we working under? Are we working under the federal level because our state does not have anything more restrictive or a, a larger list of, um, protected classes, uh, are we working in a city that has um, more? Is there is there a case where sometimes the federal law applies and sometimes a state law applies and even still some other times a city law applies? This is why it's critical to get with an attorney to find out what are the rules here? What are the protected classes I need to worry about? 
you know, if I'm working in the city, does it matter? If I'm working outside the city, is, are the rules different? You know, we have to figure out what kinds of things we're, we're being held responsible for. Now, generally, I would say you pick whichever is the most restrictive and just apply that across the board because it's, it's almost impossible to have different sets of rules for employees working in different cities. I don't know how you would pull that off and not create just so much chaos and turmoil that it would not be worth it. So my recommendation, unless you have a compelling reason not to or your lawyer says not to, my, my advice would be pick the most restrictive rules you have to adhere to at all and apply those across the board. So we need to figure out which, oh, I guess my email is on. Um, we need to figure out which uh, sets of rules we have to play by. We have to figure out who's making the rules, federal, state, or city, or all three. And we need to figure out what specific protected classes we need to be paying attention to. Uh, sometimes, you know, it's just the list that I gave you earlier. Sometimes there's more, uh, you're going to want to look that up and talk to your attorney about that for sure. And you're going to want to make sure your leadership team knows this stuff as well as you do. Now, why is that important? In most jurisdictions, anything your supervisors, managers, sometimes even leads do anybody in authority role. Sometimes if they do something that's completely wrong, they do something that is illegal they, they discriminate or appear to discriminate. It's the same as if you had done it yourself as a business owner. That's how generally the law looks at this stuff is it's our responsibility as business owners to train our managers and leaders to do the right thing and to know what the laws are. This is not a case where we can claim ignorance and say they didn't know. Um, the law is going to say, well, if they didn't know, it's your fault. And if, they, if you did teach them and they didn't do it anyway, it's still your fault. Now, I'm not saying we have to like that. I'm just saying that's the way it is. One of the things that I think is especially important for business owners to, to really wrap their heads around, especially in cases where we're talking about protected classes and EEOC protections and things like your managerial staff uh, or you being held accountable for your performance and, and decisions made by your managerial staff, staff, is the law is not really about right and wrong per se. The law doesn't care what your version and your explanation right and wrong is. That's not what the law does. The law, you know, that these lawsuits and things are made or filed because the laws are not followed. It doesn't mean that you have to like the law. You could think it's a complete nonsense law. It doesn't matter. The court is not going to side with you because a law is stupid or a law doesn't make sense. The court is going to side with whoever can prove their case as far as adherence to the law. This is a really important thing for business owners to wrap their heads around. The law is not about right and wrong. The law is about adherence to what is written and what the declared rules created by the legislators at the federal and state and city and county levels. That's what the law is about. Compliance and adherence to those written rules. It's not about right and wrong. We really have to just bang that into our heads because it's really hard to, to see, you know, we, we know that we're good people. I mean, I'm thinking most most people who run businesses are good people. They, they try to take care of the customer. They try to take care of the employees. They're doing the best they can. They don't, uh, I don't know any business owners who discriminate based on the list of things I read earlier. I don't, I don't know anybody who does that. But it doesn't matter if there's the appearance of that. It doesn't, there's, there's not a, a, a judge who's going to look into your heart and see what was, what your intentions were. That's not how it works. If it appears to violate the law, you're guilty. That's how it works. So 
it's important for us to get over this notion of right and wrong and, and begin working towards compliance with the law, period. It's another thing for us, it's also important for us to get over this idea that we didn't mean it to be this way, we didn't intend for this way. I know it looks bad, but that's not what I meant. The appearance of favoritism, the appearance of harassment, the appearance of preferential treatment is the same as if it's actually happening. And that is something we also have to wrap our heads around. This is not this is not something we're going to necessarily like or agree with, but it is it's just the way it is. Um, so I wouldn't say as far as the practical application of how to deal with protected classes and how to make decisions and all that kind of stuff, I wouldn't say that you need to treat um, the people in those protected groups different or better. But I would say you probably wouldn't want to make a change to a consequence um, and have somebody in a protected class be the first one to experience what could per- be perceived as a negative consequence of an existing policy or a situation in which you have no policy. Especially if you've done something in a certain way for many years, you would not want a person in a protected class to be the first one to have this new consequence. So, for example, if you if you decided that, you know what, we, ha- we have a, an attendance policy that um, the consequences have just been too lax. You know, our, our policy is if you miss X amount of days, you know, you get a, a written warning or you get a one day suspension, whatever. And you say, we're going to, we're going to change consequence because attendance has gotten out of hand. Even though we've been doing it this way for 10 years, we're going to change consequence. So now we do a, let's say, I'll just make this up, a three day suspension. If you miss more than X amount of days in a quarter or a month or a year or whatever, whatever it is, you change the consequence from a one day suspension to a three day suspension. You would not want a 50-year-old woman who is a minority to be the first person to face that new consequence unless you put out a new policy which everyone signed in advance where you declare we're making this change to the policy, we're making this change to the consequence. You would not want to do this on the fly without having a new policy signed by everyone. And even then you might have to talk to your attorney about what are we going to do if a protected class is the first one who has to suffer this consequence. Now, it's unlikely again that that you're you would create these policy changes and and hope for a particular person to to be the the first one. It just I, nobody operates that way. I, I I can't even imagine a situation where that would be the case. But there are going to be situations where you ha- you have to make a change because you've been too lenient, you haven't paid attention to something. Um, you're, you've accidentally allowed something to happen, uh, consistently that's creating hardship for lots of folks and your employees and your customers and things like that. And you're going to want to make changes. You have to be aware of how this will go down or look and be perceived and appear to somebody outside of your organization. If it's a person in a protected class, who's the first one to suffer this consequence. So there's a couple of things I would do, um, I, I do, and when I'm teaching managers about this and app, applying this stuff in real life, one of them is to remind myself at all times that no matter what happens, it's going to be, assume a worst case scenario, it goes to, it goes to trial, it goes to court, whatever, it's going to be the fate of whatever happens will be determined by a judge, uh, you know, uh, in whatever court, probably 18 months after this happened, and they will make decisions with no knowledge of how our industry works, other than how we what we can explain to them in a courtroom. 
and they will have no knowledge of what actually happened other than what we can prove in our documentation that led up to this moment. We, documentation that we provide after the fact is largely not going to be considered if it's at all considered. So we can't, we can't have a situation where we just say, well, we explain it as, well, hey, listen, we were having a bunch of people miss work, and so we changed the, we changed the, uh, the punishment. We changed the consequence. We changed the consequences for, for missing this many days of work. The, you, you're not going to be able to convince somebody that it wasn't um, to hurt somebody in a protected class if they were the first ones who happened upon, you know, happened to, to suffer this consequence. The judge is just not going to have the ability to look past the appearance of that and go, well, you seem like a good guy. So, okay, we're going we're gonna to go ahead and just figure this is okay. It's not going to go down like that. So one of the first things I do is remember this is going to be decided by somebody who doesn't understand my business, doesn't understand my industry, doesn't know what happened leading up to this. All they can say is for 10 years, you got a one day suspension for missing too many days at work. And the first time you, you changed it to three days, it was a person in a protected class that just looks bad and that's, and it's not going to end well. So that's the first thing we need to figure to just accept. The second thing I would do is as I'm going through the process of making these changes, amending policies, you know, addressing things where we don't necessarily have policies in place. We have to make a change. One of the things I will do is say to our leadership team or whatever, how will this work? How will this look? How will this whatever, how will it play out if we hire a person in a protected class three months from now? So we don't, this is a fi completely fictitious person. There's no way in this scenario they could, they could point to an employee and assume that I'm talking about them. I say literally, if we hired a person in a protected class three months from now, and they were the ones that suffered this consequence, how would that look? How would that play out? How would it appear? And if the answer is something like, hmm, yeah, that wouldn't look really good, then we're probably on the wrong, we're heading the wrong direction. If the answer is, no, it makes perfect sense, which sometimes it will, then we're probably okay. But that's the, that's the kind of exercise I want to go through to make sure that this is not going to look bad if a person in a protected class is the first one to deal with this negative whatever. Maybe you don't have a policy in place and you're putting one in place. That's fine as long as everybody signs the policy up front and says, we know that this is happening. It's not fine if you just decide one day, I've had enough of this. The next person that misses three days of work or the next person that misses two days of work is going to get a three-day suspension. And the person that happens to be is a protected class, you're probably going to be in trouble. So if you're dealing with a situation you've not addressed in your policies and it involves a person who's in a protected class, you should lean towards calling your attorney for guidance rather than just handling it how you normally would. Anytime a person in a protected class is the first of anything, this is this the red flag, you know, should go up. This is not an ideal situation. We want to have um, the ability to have a consistent track record or disclosing things up front, i.e., having the policy signed and everybody knowing up front what the what the rules are, what the consequences are, how things are handled. We cannot make on-the-fly decisions when, especially when a person who's a protected class is the first one to suffer the consequences. That's really what it comes down to in most cases is when a ma major change has happened, probably because the business owner realizes they've made a mistake by being too lax on something, too lenient. The consequences are building up. The customers are getting angry. Other employees are getting angry. It's like, you know what? We got to deal with this. We got to fix it. That's it. I've had it from now on. Henceforth, here's the way it's going to be. Boom. The first person is a protected class, and then bad things happen. So that is is kind of the gist of, of protected classes. Again, um, uh, one of the things is you're going to want to get familiar with this with your attorney, and don't hide this information. Speak about this with your leadership team. So before we go any further, 
Let me take a moment to tell you about something I'm really excited about, which is my new book, Service Industry Success. For those of you watching the video, it's right over my shoulder right there. The cover looks just like the podcast. The name is the same as the podcast. So if you jump on Amazon or anywhere else online and try to find it, I'll give you a website here in a second to go to, but you can just put in my name and service industry and it pops right up. It's now available on Amazon. Anywhere else the finest books in the world are sold. Uh, this book takes a deep dive into leadership ideas, strategies, and tactics that have helped me for many years. A lot of things we talk about here in a general sense, we get much more specific about in the book. It's primarily for business owners who are afraid to hold their employees accountable out of fear that they will leave and who want to develop strategies and tactics to hold their team accountable without feeling like a jerk or without feeling like their, their team is going to resent them. It's also for business owners who want to teach their leadership team how to be effective managers and leaders so they they and, but don't have a step-by-step process available to them to teach the leadership team how to be good leaders. It's also for managers and leaders who want to develop a, the knowledge and skills to get their employees to do the right thing because they want to rather than being motivated by your threats or pleading. Inside, you'll find out why we overreact the way we do sometimes as managers and leaders, as well as a step-by-step guide to lead, inspire, and motivate your employees. I cover all the things I've learned from my great mentors over my career. From the time I started out as that crummy supervisor who was not very good at leading at all, to becoming very proficient and leading and developing thriving, productive teams of people. Um, I could, again, make a very compelling argument that that managing people is now my pro- greatest professional strength after, you know, 20-something years. When I first started out, that was not the case. So this is all the things I learned along the way uh, from great mentors, some things I came up with myself. To get your copy from Amazon, go to sisthebook.com. That's SIS as in serviceindustrysuccess.com to get your copy today. So back to what we're talking about here. The first thing we have to do is become aware uh, for you and your leadership team, what are the protected classes, which laws are applicable, federal, state, local. We got to figure out that. If you if you don't know, this is not something I would necessarily trust an online search for. This is something I would call my attorney, pay the you know 15 minutes or half an hour at the $400 an hour, whatever you're paying for your attorney, and get very specific answers. Um, this is something that if you've never done it before, I would schedule an appointment with your attorney and kind of an hour block and just, hey, walk me through this. What are these, what are the protected classes I got to worry about? What's your advice on how to steer clear of trouble with protected classes? Listen to what they have to say. They're going to have some better ideas than me for sure on some things. In a practical sense, my approach is to figure out what they are Again, the federal level, they're easy to find race, religion, country of origin, age, meaning people over 40, sex, um, pregnancy status, citizenship status, familial status, meaning do they have a spouse and children, disability status, veteran status. There might even be some others at the federal level. Those are the big ones I know about. You might hear them called EEOC protections, as in Equal Employment Opportunities Council. And again, the reason why we should care about this is the number of lawsuits and the cost of these lawsuits every year is going through the roof. It's definitely enough money now, these damages being awarded to put a small business out of business, maybe even a medium-sized business. So you got to figure out if you're dealing with the state, federal, or local laws, where some might supersede others, which specific classes are being um, are relevant for you or applicable for you. And you got to make sure your leadership team knows this as well as you do. Everything they do, especially every negative thing they do, is seen by courts as if the owner themselves did it, period. There's not, there's not any exceptions to that that I know of. So these are, these are, um, 
these EEOC laws are put in place to make sure employers aren't treating some groups of employees with preferential treatment over others. That's really the purpose of this whole thing is to not allow harassment and discrimination. Challenge for business owners is sometimes you just make changes because you have a consequence or you're dealing with something you can't deal with anymore. There's a problem that's been created because you've allowed something to happen too much. You make a change. The first person that happens to, to fall into this new change is a protected class. And there's the appearance of favoritism or there's the appearance of preferential treatment or the appearance of, of harassment. Even if it's not actually happening, it's the appearance. If they're the first ones to suffer this new consequence, it's going to look bad. So again, I'm not saying you need to treat those people with protected, protected status different or better, but I am saying you don't want them to be the first ones probably to suffer a new consequence unless you've rolled out a new policy and everybody signed it and everybody knows up front this is the way it is. And even then, I would talk to your attorney, what if a protected class is the first person that, that suffers this new consequence? Uh, this is the case, especially if you've done things for a certain way for many years. If you've done something for 10 years and you're going to make a change and the first person who, who endures a new change is a protected class, you could really be in some trouble. It could look really bad. Even if your intent is not bad, if it looks bad, sometimes that's all that matters. So one of the things I do is ask myself if we hire a protected class next month and this plays out a year from now or five months from now, how's this going to look? How's this going to play out? How's this going to appear from the outside? Uh, if the answer is it's going to be fine, then we move on. If the answer is, well, hmm, geez, that might not look so good, then we got to pause. The other thing is we have to keep in mind this is not about right and wrong. We get hung up on this as business owners. We, we say and think things like, I wasn't intending any kind of harm for somebody because of their their gender or their familial status or their veteran status. I would never do that. I, I, I'm not the kind of person who would care about somebody's race when I kind of put these kind of things in place. It's not about that. It's about adherence to the law. It's not. It's about the appearance of favoritism. It's about the appearance of preferential treatment of one group over another. Um, this is just the way it is. And the other exercise I go through is if we're, we're dealing with something, remembering a judge is going to decide this who does not understand my business, does not understand my industry, does not understand the circumstances that led up to this, no matter how much I plead that we were having attendance problems and our customers were getting pissed and we had to deal with this. If the first person to deal with the new consequence is a protected class, it's going to look bad. We have to we have to be aware of that. So if you're dealing with a situation where you have not addressed in your policies and involves a person who's a protected class, you should lean towards calling your attorney more so than if you normally would. So that's it for this week. I hope that clears up a little bit about protected classes. It's a pretty murky topic. It's not as cut and dry as, as even this may have sounded. Um, it's, it's a delicate path. We, we can't have preferential treatment to people because they're protected classes because now we're discriminating against other protected classes. You, you have to get this right. It's not always easy. Um, this is why it's important to have an attorney you trust and have that uh, employment practices and insurance that we talked about. So um, I really advise just, just getting familiar with this stuff to the degree you can. Educate yourself. That's the most important thing. And uh, make sure you educate your leadership team. So... That's it for this week. Don't forget to go to sisthebook.com to get your copy of Service Industry Success today. And please, if you have a moment, share this podcast with a friend or colleague who's a business owner in the service industry. Or if you can't do that, give us a rating review. We sure appreciate it. Thanks a lot for everything. And I'll see you all next week.